Welcome to this Golf Channel pod with Rex and Lab. In this week's episode, we're talking all things American Express. It's John Rahm, Davis Thompson, Xander Shoffley, and more. We'll dive into all of the live news, which is the schedule release, the balance of power, and the looming player roster. We'll also discuss another strong non-designated field at the Farmers Insurance Open with its Wednesday start. And of course, what's cooking with the Conference Championship Sunday on deck and our grills surely fired up. Rex, last we heard from you, you were in the throes of this melodrama concerning your rental Tesla. And before we get to that, I did want to bring up a YouTube comment from last week from username Chucky R. Hanger Deck, who says, quote, do you two ever actually discuss golf on this show? 12 minutes of idiocy. First of all, uh, it was nine minutes. And quite frankly, I thought the storyline had gripped the nation. Uh, you're home now, which means that your uh, Tesla did have enough battery to get to LAX. What's the final verdict on what, in my opinion, is the dumbest car ever created? Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'll, I'll catch people up to speed really quick. I had to rent a Tesla from the Hertz lot in L.A. because I flew into L.A. and I was driving over to Palm Springs. There was only Teslas, essentially. I didn't have too many other choices. And the la- last you heard... It was fine. It takes it takes twenty to twenty five minutes. It's fine. I, I could get it charged. It, I, I, you know, I, I kind of settled into it. No big deal. Figured out how to how to get from the hotel to the golf course. No issues. Sunday was an issue because I had to be there early because I was doing the pregame show and then I, I was on the telecast and then I was leaving right after humble the break. telecast. It, humble brat. Not really. That's just my job. If that's a humble brat, <laughs> I don't know another way of saying it. I had to leave. Right afterwards, because I was catching a red eye out of L.A., so another two and a half, three hours back to L.A. And I was—I didn't have time in the morning, so I woke up like 6 a.m. Sunday morning, and I drive to the lot. I sent you a picture of me standing by the car waiting for it to charge, figuring 20, 25 minutes, I'll be done, you know, just moving on. Let's forget about this. It'll never happen again. Settle into the car, was going to read, you know, go through Twitter or whatever it is you do while you sit and wait. And apparently when it's cold, and it was 39 degrees, when it's cold, it takes longer. It takes longer to charge the car. So it, it was 55 minutes. What are you showing me? I can't folks, see that. Folks, he does not look, he does not look happy. This is now, this is now a visual yeah. medium. Uh, he, did, yeah, he did not look not. happy. So I had to, like, I couldn't, I didn't have time. I had to get to work, humble brag, I guess. And so I had to go to work. And then, so when I finished up Sunday after, you know, I do the winner's interview, I pack up my stuff, I, I, I get in the car, and then I have to go sit in a parking lot, wait for one of these charging stations to break free because there's, there's a line. You got to get in line and you got to wait for them. And then I had to wait another 30, 40 minutes. And it, I made it in time. It was fine. And look, I, I don't want to – Elon, meet me on camera one because what you've created is a really, really cool car. Like I get it. If I'm driving that car to work and I, I live uh, five miles from my work and I can plug it into the garage every night, perfect. Mwah, chef kiss. Love it. Don't however, ever rent however. it. Because, uh, I mean, if you have to stop, and God forbid it's cold because, you know, it does get cold. I know that's crazy. But and if it's cold, it's going it to be gets, an hour. It also gets 120 degrees in Rancho Mirage. Is that thing going to overheat? I don't know. Maybe it charges faster. I mean, maybe I should t- bring back bring it back in July. Is it like a fake I, charge, though? Like when you plug your cell phone in, if it's at 20%, all of a sudden it jumps to 80, but it's not a real charge? I feel like that's the same thing could happen. No, no, this is a straight up charge. And I'm calling friends frantically like, what's happening? Why, why 55 minutes? And they're like, well, yeah, when it's cold, it takes longer. And I'm, I'm, it, it'll never happen again. Let's hashtag never forget. Never to, forget. To put a bow on this, dumbest 
car ever. We're not going to get Tesla sponsorship. That is quite all right with me. Give me a Kia sponsorship. Give me a Ford sponsorship. Give me a Nissan sponsorship. Give me a very dependable intermediate car. Thanks to Hertz. Now, Rex, the tournament that you did cover was the American Express. Don Rom going two for two, just looking like an absolute world beater, won by a single shot over Davis Thompson, which was actually a pretty compelling duel. Must admit, did not see tons of the final round because as we mentioned on our Golf Today hit on either Tuesday or Wednesday, we'd love to see the PJ Tour shift away from the Sunday schedule uh, as it pertains to the first month of the season, getting away from NFL playoff games. However, was able to catch last five or six holes uh, in some decisive key moments. But John Rahm was the big takeaway here, obviously. Four of his last six starts have resulted in victories. Now heads to Torrey Pines he's looking to go three for three which is a pretty rare occurrence in pga tour history at least over the past quarter century or so biggest takeaway john rom getting it done again john rom getting it done and i said this on uh, I, I did a golf today hit on monday and it was interesting because he had an edge all week long it, i think it started on tuesday when i asked him when i told him the world ranking scenario which was Patrick Cantlay could move to world number one last week with a win, but John Rahm couldn't, and Patrick Cantlay was fifth in the world, and John was fourth in the world at the time. So I don't think his week got off to a very good start, and it just kind of compounded. And so on Friday after he Maybe he just doesn't up, like you. Uh, could be that, too. So on Friday after he finished up his round, we were waiting for the cameras to come up, and I turned to him and I said, uh, so which one of those 64s did you hate the most? And he kind of glared at me, and I, I thought he was going to, crushed my head with one of those big bear hands of his and thankfully he, he just kind of smiled and he did he did sort of just let it go a little bit but I, I think it's fascinating when and you know you can send a notice I guess when you win back-to-back times to start the year and certainly I think everybody in the golf world took notice because of what he did for me it's how he did it the way he came from behind in Maui the way he he just kind of ran over Colin Morikawa on that Sunday. And look, we, we, we discussed this. Morikawa clearly didn't have his best stuff. but then And then to show up in Palm Springs, where John has had success before. He's won before. Uh, I don't think he's finished outside the top five there. And to, just to have to battle and to scratch and claw. And, and it, he, in his mind, I think he felt like he was playing well. And yet every time he looked at the leaderboard, there was someone right there, whether if that was Xander Schauffele or Davis Thompson, or whoever else. People were making runs at him. He didn't feel like he had his best stuff, certainly not on the greens over the last two days. And I think there was a sense of reward that in relief on Sunday when he finished it off. But it was so vastly different. I'm just curious, if, if you're Rory, and you're in the Middle East this week, and you're thinking to yourself, John's coming for me, and now John's playing Toy Pines, where he's also had success. It's, it has to be very intimidating to the rest of the golf world. I don't know if it's intimidating. They're not going head-to-head quite yet. That's going to happen in Phoenix in a couple weeks' time. Roy very, McElroy very soon. Makes, yeah. his, makes his first start in the PGA Tour in the calendar year. I, I do think what we're seeing now, Rex, is John Rahm in complete command of his game. He was already the best driver on the PGA Tour, and now he's pounding it longer and straighter than ever. Uh, he, he remarked several times to you Thanks to and to other, other reporters uh, on site how his wedge play uh, has become tighter, more precise uh, after – the bugaboo in the early part of 2022 with his putting, it's clearly now uh, that he's rolling it with a lot of confidence. To me, when I look at John Rahm and what's happening here and why he's ripped off four wins in his last six starts, including now two in a row, is the fact that his his floor has gotten higher. We always knew 
the John Rom ceiling is extraordinary. He's won golf tournaments with final round 62, 63, 64s. He's won a major championship. He's won everything you can win in the sport to this point. But he's he's elevated his floor to the fact where he doesn't have to have his very best stuff in order to beat a field, 144 or 156. John Rom, you mentioned the 64s and not being totally pleased with that. That's an indication of totally pleased. He can still score. Let's go with angry. Angry, okay. But he can he can still score. He can still scrape it around. He can still make what isn't, you know, firing on all cylinders a very good round, a, a, a low round, in fact, that's going to put him in position for a lot of PJ Tortoles because he is going to have his stuff at least one of the four days. Like, well, he's going, and he's, by- going, he's going to click, he's going to fire, and that's when he's going to post a silly low number. And by comparison, I mean, I guess Colin Morikawa would be the opposite of this in Maui, where Morikawa was playing very, very well. He had a pretty commanding lead going into that final round. Did not have his best stuff on Sunday and subsequently got beat had by bad John Rump. Wasn't just his had, best stuff. He had, had bad stuff. Had, had bad stuff. And so you have another world-class player in a very, very similar situation who wasn't able to get it done. I can't imagine. And look, I don't think either one of us would ever look at John Rom and think, oh, he's hurting for confidence. But I can't imagine what this does confidence-wise for a player like John Rom, where you can show up and be angry for four days and come off the golf course just spewing and yet still end up with a victory, there has to be some level of relief. There, ha- But there also has to be some level of, huh, I wonder if anybody can beat me if I ever have my A game at this point. And I think that's where his mind is. It's like a football team. I harken back to like the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? They were down there it is. 28 Duval. to nothing in the wild card game. And what happens? They come back in the second half and win. That that gives the team confidence to know no matter the deficit, like we're we're, we're going to be okay. Like seven of our last eight victories have come and come from prime fashion. John Rom is the same way. He can he can boat race guys and win by six, seven, eight shots. We've seen that in the past. He can hunt down even world class players like Kyle Morikawa, Century Tournament champions. He can hold off a tough minded rookie in Davis Thompson and Taylor Montgomery and Xander Shoffley and Chris Kirk and everyone else who was throwing haymakers his way on the final round at PGA West. John Rom has done it every which way. I just think his his decent has gotten better, and that's going to result in a monster year. The way is one thing I want to circle back on, because you mentioned John Rom was kind of in a mood all week in the California desert. When did this fascination with the number one ranking like take hold? Like, Why is this such... A big deal. John Rahm has been world number one before. Scotty Scheffler has been world number one before. It, it's just like a lazy storyline. Who cares who is number one Oof, atop lazy. this ranking, right? Like, like, who cares? Like, use your eye test. Like, we all watch golf. Golf fans are watching golf on the weekends. The the, the plain and obvious eye test tells you that John Rahm is playing better than anyone in the world right now. What does it matter what his actual number is? Probably only to us and probably to a handful of fans. And look, I well, I would say to quite a few fans based on the Twitter response we, that I got on Monday when I tweeted out, or Sunday night when I tweeted out the current ranking, which John moved up to a solid third place with his second Who cares? of 2023. I don't know. I mean, clearly John cares. And, and I don't know that it's lazy. I think I kind of disagree with you on that front because it is a narrative. However, I will give John credit. As much as he was in a mood, and clearly when I told him, I think it was on Tuesday, the scenarios for the world ranking, he wasn't happy with it, but he did take the high road, and he kind of explained, I think, what everyone else needs to wrap their minds around, that when they changed the ranking about midway through last summer, that it was going to take a full two-year cycle for this to wash out, for all of the old points to get washed away and us to get a good idea of exactly what the new ranking is going to look like. And I'm not saying that ranking is going to look 
any better than this one. I'm not going to I'm not saying that it's going to be any more easily digestible than this one. However, I think giving the world ranking the benefit of the doubt on this front, we have we had a colleague on on golfchannel.com just yesterday that was right about writing about the world ranking and being critical of it. And I just think in this particular case, and look, I, I don't like being critical of the world ranking because I don't have a better system. And if I don't have a better system, I, I, I think it's kind of hard to sit and criticize. In this particular case, we got to give it two years. Give it a two-year cycle, and if we're sitting here at that point and we still don't understand it, if it's still silly, then yes, we can sit and scream to the heavens about it. But in this particular case, I think for John, to answer your question, I think there is something of a bragging I mean, right. It's I remember a, it's, a, it's a it's a status symbol. It's a yeah. it's an ego thing. No. I understand that. I, as a, as a golf observer, I'm less interested in the top of the world ranking than I am top fifty cutoff. Fifty one is the one. Fifty one is the one we should be talking about. Absolutely, right. that's what I'm saying. And so to to this point, I, I think for John and I remember when DJ had been world number one. He dropped out and he was getting closer again to getting. It, and we were asking him the same questions. And I remember, you know, DJ being DJ, he kind of dismissed it. But someone in his camp, someone close to him said, oh, it he, he means the world to him. Like, he won't let you, you see it. He won't let the world see it. But yes, in his mind, I'm world number one. And I want the math to say I'm world number one. So there's something to be said there. It's also contract deal. Like, let's oh, be honest. Of course. Of course. There's, there's money there's, involved here. There's there's incentives. There's there's player yeah. bonuses uh, tied up in, in contracts. However... John Rahm is not going out of his way to say, I want to be world number one. I'm pissed off that I'm number three, or last week it was number four. I'm pissed off I don't have a chance to get to world number one with a victory this week well, at the American Maui. Express. We are asking him about that. I just wish we would move on uh, because it is, uh, to me, a very lazy storyline. P.J. West, Rex, there was also a couple of other dealings. Davis Thompson, uh, rookie, hashtag go dogs. Uh, it went toe-to-toe with John Rahm, I thought was very impressive. Xander Shoffley, uh, final round 62. Here's a, here's a Mia couple for you, Rex. Uh, on last week's podcast, I expressed some concern that, A, uh, Xander Shoffley was teeing it up uh, just a week after undergoing an MRI, that, B, he uh, had expressed some uh, experiencing some soreness in the early week rounds, and, C, he was embarking on was a pretty ambitious early season schedule with – uh, four starts in five weeks and six of eight overall. Mia Culpa, Xander Shoffley tied for third, final round 62, which included an albatross. He reported uh, no setbacks at all and once again is in the field this week at the Farmers Insurance Open. Just wanted to get that off my chest. But what's, what stood out feel to better? you? feel I, I really do. Uh, what, right. what, what stood You're out to now. you, Rex, about the Amex and how it uh, played out? The albatross was so funny because after the round, obviously, we're asking about it. It was on the fifth hole. And uh, and I asked Austin, his caddy, first about it, and he kind of laughed, and he said, uh, "Well, clearly he pushed it. He had, you know, he wasn't going anywhere <laughs> near that pin." And he goes, "I turned around because I was disgusted. I was sure it was going in the water." And Xander said the same thing in his interview, which is kind of funny when you sit and you think the margins are so thin in this game that you, you the di- difference between an albatross and going in the water for <laughs> for a penalty is the caddy rolling his eyes and turning away in disgust, and the player thinking, "Is it that bad? I don't know. Maybe." <laughs> Did it's he? like it's like Cam Smith's shot on seventeen last year at the Players Championship. Like yeah. you were not going, you were not going at that pin. It Anywhere looks near. it looks it looks really ballsy at the end because you you finished what five feet uh, left of the water, but but that was not the intended line. Uh, yeah, I think Xander and look, he said it himself. He touched them all last week. Three golf courses. He got practice rounds in at all three golf courses, and then he obviously played four rounds. Played well, got better with each day, and I think that's encouraging, specifically for him going to Torrey Pines, which means obviously the world to him. It's a, pretty much a home game 
for him. That one was big to me. And then Chris Kirk, I think, I mean, you always kind of look, I look at Chris Kirk's career. Back to back top fives. Yeah. And and I look at his career through this lens of the things that he's had to deal with in his personal life. And so it's always rewarding when you see the story, not the player in my mind, but the story sort of deliver like that. But for me, it was Davis Thompson. And and look, I mean, from a media standpoint, for you and I who carry notebooks and want to tell stories, that's going to be a tough story to tell. And we're going to have to start figuring out. I mean, we've had this conversation about Cameron Young before where he just doesn't give you much and there's just not much personality. Now, I will say in defeat, Davis kind of opened up on Sunday where he sort of talked about hitting teary eyed on Sunday. He was teary eyed and there were some fist pumps through the round and he could have early in his round. I mean, he clearly uh, talked about John Rom not having his best stuff. I mean, Davis could have gone sideways very, very quickly and just slunk away and finished tied for 15th and just just sort of just been that guy in the final group that was getting in John Rom's way. But he didn't. And to push John Rahm, who I think we can both agree is the best player in golf right now, I think that's the best indication. Get the win, not get the win. That, for me, was sort of the highlight of the week because it shows you those flashes of how great he can be. Yeah, look, he's clearly a hot shot rookie. Like, he was very highly touted coming out of Georgia. He was part of that inaugural PGA Tour University class, which is granting Corn Ferry Tour access for the top five graduating seniors. Got his card uh, in his first attempt. And so he kind of lingered right on the edge of contention for the first couple months. But this was the first time in the spotlight, and I thought he handled it uh, exceedingly well. You talk about going on an all-time heater. I mean, five Eagles over the course of the fist first 54 holes. and then got I, stuck he needed one more to yeah. set the tour record and got stuck i mean that's kind of a lot to ask for and, and quite frankly the reason why he did not win this golf tournament was not because john rom significantly outplayed him it's because of how davis thompson who absolutely obliterated the par fives uh, over the first three rounds uh, kind of stalled out he played played them just even par on the final day when he was 14 under par on the par fives i, I think back to the tee shot on five which was the hook in the water leading to a bogey on the par five and then 16 mm-hmm. absolutely have to put that one in the fairway and said toe hooks it into the cavitus bunker has to lay up john rom gets up and down for what was the go-ahead birdie i i like to see the emotion afterward i like to see how much it hurt him i like to see how much uh, he said that he's going to learn from that experience uh as, as someone who was there as someone who was watching the action was that ball going in if the flag stick was pulled on 17 to me, I don't think so. To me, no. That thing was carrying way too much heat. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, we need Bryson DeChambeau to, to sort of break down all the math and the physics of it. But no, I don't think so. I think it was a little too hot coming in. And I don't think, like, as soon as we saw it, and I was standing next to Jim Gallagher Jr. behind the 18th green, sort of waiting for that last group, and he was watching it on his monitor, and we saw the repeat plays. And he, his immediate reaction was he actually got lucky that the pin was there. Because if not, it probably, he probably would have had five, six, seven feet coming back so i mean you can sit here and second guess but in that situation i think most pros these days are doing the exact same thing because the pen sort of gives you that depth that you didn't have before the rule change but you're always going to end up in a situation where now if you do it from five feet and it bounces off it probably was going in but not from 50 feet uh, also shout out taylor montgomery who just a couple weeks ago on golf today i singled out as the under the radar player to watch this season now eight top 15s in nine starts a season, but that's not why he is memorable. Unfortunately, at the American Express, shanked one. There was some clunky on shots. Yeah, shanked nothing was... but nothing but hosel. Uh, one shot down with two holes to play. Shout out to Montgomery. Actually, came back the very next hole and birdied it uh, to post another high finish. Rex, there's been a lot of live golf in the news. They've been quiet, right? 
for a couple of months, everyone seems to be wondering what's up. There's these slow leaks of executives who are leaving. But on Monday, uh, we actually have the 2023 schedule. You've been on top of this uh, for the last couple of months, but it is officially official. It includes six international stops instead of having the $50 million team championship at Trump Doral as it was in 2022. They're going to Saudi Arabia. And so the Live Golf's biggest event of the year would be broadcast at about 4 a.m. Eastern time on the CW. You've had a chance to pour over this. Uh, what kind of stands out to you about what we're going to see from Live Golf this year? Uh, I had the schedule a few, man, it might have been weeks ago now, and I did not have Orange County National. I knew they were looking for a spring date in Florida. I, I, thought, they were, I thought they were looking. Oh, who's in the room? Is a good boy in the room? She is in the room. Oh, it's causing it's causing a problem. <laughs> Imagine that. All right, uh, I, I I was a little surprised that Orange County National was the the destination. Rex, it's a muni. Rex, it's a muni. Orange County yeah. National is a muni. If if any live player wants to know how to shoot seventy four on Crooked Cat, I'm your guy. Uh, actually, like, I I shot my career round on Crooked Cat, so I think that that you and I both have those rounds on Crooked Cat probably tells you everything you need to know about it being not a, not, a, not a great golf course. You used to have the Golf Channel Drivers Club, like you could play that eighteen holes for twenty one dollars. And, and Panther Lake is the much better of the two courses at Orange County National, which yes. is baffling to me that you would have picked Crooked Cat. And, and look for Orlando. If you're coming to Orlando on a buddy's trip, add Crooked Cat. I mean, add Panther Lake. It's fun. They got a little par three course there. You can have a good time. Great golf course well. for you and me. Not, not great, a championship. Not not a championship test the week before the Masters. Not a championship. And you mentioned going to Saudi Arabia for the for the team finale. You know, to finish up their season. I thought that was interesting because when I. I, I got sort of a tentative schedule that I wrote about a few weeks ago, and it was interesting to me that Saudi Arabia was not on that tentative schedule, and I was trying to figure out where they were going to fit in because it seems to me that they, they have to have one in Saudi Arabia, do they not? It seems obvious, and I did not see them sort of abandoning Trump Doral to send the team championship over to Saudi Arabia for the reasons you just said because you're kind of taking sort of this domestic TV market out of the mix. People just aren't going to be paying attention. So it is, it is some curious – it is very, very curious. I think re the rest of the schedule was pretty straightforward. Mayakoba, we've talked about, obviously, was a long-time tour event. Valderrama has been added, uh, which I, I think is interesting. That's a very good golf course, and I think it's probably a market that they can exploit. But beyond that, I, I, I don't know that anything stood out to me. I think the bigger news, Rex, was, was what also came out, first reported uh, by our buddy Sports Illustrated's Bob Herrig, is that Greg Norman, who people have been calling for his head – for the past couple of months, his role is actually being strengthened as CEO and commissioner of Live Golf in the fact that Major El Sarar, the managing director of Live Golf, is now shifting into a role as just a, a member of the board of directors for Live Golf. He's no longer the managing director. So what that means is more autonomy, more power for the embattled Greg Norman. What's this all about? Why do you think Live Golf would make this move entering year two? And its first full league, league season. I have I have two potential reasons. One, I'm very very confident about. One, I'm not so much. It's a little bit more of an opinion. The first one that I'm very confident about is because of the ongoing legal battle. And right now, the antitrust lawsuit that's in Northern California is centered on sort of this discovery dispute between the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia and its governor. And essentially, the fund is claiming that we're nothing more than an investor. We shouldn't have to subject ourselves to discovery or be deposed or anything along those lines. PGA Tour lawyers are arguing the opposite. They're arguing that PIF and its governor essentially run the day-to-day -day operations of Live Golf. 
the judge wanted the two sides to come to an understanding. They did not last week, so now it's back on the judge's desk. And and this will be very, very pivotal in this lawsuit. And so this isn't it, like, me, isn't it, isn't it too little too late to, to kind of remove any sort of Saudi influence? Well, this to me is removing Saudi influence just for optical reasons. I mean, the idea that he's not going to have any say whatsoever is, is kind of silly in my mind because it seems to me the public investment fund, it, it's governor, sort of the – Project Wedge, let's call it, because that's what they called it. Project Wedge was very, very clear. It was created by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia with with help of another firm called Performance 54. And But what they're trying to do is create some sort of distance between the two sides. And at least legally, they're trying to create this, this optic that, no, 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 PIF is just an investment. And, and look, it, they, could, they could also make the argument that they're immune from – you know, any U.S. courts, which is also on the table as well. So I think that's part of this. The other part of it, which I found fascinating, I was actually talking with an executive last week at at the American Express about this and who has done a lot of business in Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. And his take was, you can sit here and and call them all kinds of names. You can call them murderers, which is what they did to Khashoggi. You can sit there and, and talk about their human rights record internally in their own company. The one thing that he has found that really makes the Saudis angry is to call them bad business people. And in this particular case, I think them, they're simply doubling down with Greg. That whether if you think he's doing a good job or not, he's our guy and we're going to ride with him because we made the right decision. And doubling down with Greg, I think, could have some reper- repercussions, some consequences. Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, slightly, and other players have been calling for him to be removed as the head of Live Golf, it seemed like it was at least the possibility, right, that there could be a settlement, that the two sides could reach some sort of compromise if, and this was a big caveat, if Greg Norman was no longer in power. By yeah. Live Golf doubling down, doesn't that eliminate the possibility that we could see some sort of resolution here? Oh, certainly in, in their eyes. And look, they're the only ones that have said it. I mean, no one from the tour side, Jay Monahan or down has even suggested the hint that there could be any kind of conversation. It's only been Rory. It's only been Tiger. Don't you, in- don't you think those guys are getting their marching orders from on high? You don't, think, don't, they're just, you don't think they're just no. spouting that off? No, I, don't, I, I think the power flows the other way now, if I'm being honest. And, and look, this is just I, like I'm reporting on kind of what happened. But Roy, the- Roy, Roy and Tiger don't have the power to make a compromise. That has to come from the executive level. So I'm, I'm just I mean, saying, this is a bigger Roy's, podcast. Roy's not, Roy's, not pull, Roy's not pulling that out of his hat of, oh, I think, I think we, can, we can have a resolution if, if Norman's gone. I mean, this is a bigger conversation. I, I think what happened in the room in Delaware shifted the power di- dynamic when it came to the PGA Tour. That we have talked about player empowerment for a long time, and this is it. That was, that was player empowerment right there on display for all the world to see, essentially. We don't know what was said in the meeting, but whatever it was— the marching orders came from that meeting to the PGA Tour, not the other way around. Let's let's be absolutely clear. And and however that plays but that, out, but that but that is strictly about how they want the PGA Tour to look. This is this is a legal operate. matter. This is. A, I mean, a they're golf, not getting in those weeds. Kid. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're not getting in those weeds. But I, I think when you look at where the tour is going, all of the changes that we see this year and certainly going into next year, that came from that room in Delaware. Oh, totally, to Vedra, Not not the other way around. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disputing that. So, yes, there is an element of the tour 
I'm sure there's an element of the tour sort of directing this narrative. I mean, they, they can't, they will not, they would not ever admit that for legal reasons. But yes, there is something to be said for the tour is perfectly fine with Rory and Tiger and the rest of the players being the spokespersons on this because the tour can't say anything legally. The same thing applies to Live Golf. I mean, Ian Poulter is going to be the spokesperson for Live Golf because Greg Norman cannot or should not be saying anything for legal reasons, although that hasn't, <laughs> he, hasn't really he still stopped is. him. Yes, he still seems to be you want to play lawyer on TV. But no, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think if Rory and Tiger and the rest of them think, hmm, maybe we should sit down and talk, I, I think there is a very strong motivation for Jay Monahan and the tour to sit down and talk. What about the player roster? We're recording this podcast on January 24th. Literally one month from today, Live Golf is kicking off its season at El Camillion, which of course was a longtime host at Mayakoba Worldwide Technology Championship just last November on the PJ Tour. We don't yet know the 48 players plus the 12 alternates who will be part of the Live Golf roster. What are you, what are you hearing? When, when can we expect that? And are you expecting any bombshells? Because it seems like any player who was on that, uh, in, in kind of those that, that rumor mill, whether it was Patrick Cantley, Xander Schauffele, Victor Hovland, uh, seem to have uh, further ingratiated themselves into our circles. I don't know. So when we expect it is, is sort of the bigger question in my mind because Live Golf doesn't seem to operate sort of on the t- same time scale as, as other tours. Whereas if this was the PGA Tour, they would want to get the field out as soon as possible, right? You're selling a product. You want the world to see the product for as long as possible. Uh, we have seen it certainly going into the first event last year. I think up until the 11th hour, we were hearing this player's in, fills in, fills out, fills in. So I think it's probably going to be a similar scenario. I, I thought there was a report last week. That was fascinating to me that as soon as the CW deal was signed by Liv Goff, that an offer to a player went down dramatically. And so what you can surmise from that is that Liv Goff was fine playing a pre- paying a premium for these top players, and that's what we have seen. Who's in the, who's in the room now? No one. Who, who, no one. She just wants to leave. Oh, let her out. Why, why are you being – jeez. Um they were more than willing to pay a premium for these top players. Now, because those top players were not going to get the exposure, if you're going to put them on YouTube, if you're going to play your team championship in the middle of the night in Saudi Arabia, all of the things that they've decided to do, now there is the feeling that, well, we're giving you a platform in the United States. There is a linear, linear TV deal now, so that premium is no more. So what you're going to see is probably, I don't want to say a market correction, but certainly you're going to come off that a little bit. Isn't that interesting then? Because the Gulf Saudi CEO with the biggest mediocres uh, line, it's going to kind of rear itself again. Like Live Golf is going to be filling out its roster with biggest mediocres. Uh, I don't think so. Because look at what they have already. I don't think that's fair. No, I mean I, I think we can all point to go. I think we can all point to the roster they already have. And and look, you ask me, are there going to be which any is incredibly bombshells? top heavy? Like and they're they're great players, very top heavy. Golf. Uh, but you asked me if there's going to be any bombshells. I mean, Mito Pereira is going. I reported that way back at East Lake in August. All, yeah, yeah but by all indications, it, that's still going to happen. There, there is a, one other name that I think is still sort of out there that I'm hearing. But outside of that, I'm not hearing any bombshells. That being said, we keep talking about the Patrick Cantlays and the Xander Shoffleys and even Cam Young to to a certain degree. I, I'm not going to be surprised. But the way this is played out, I don't think any of us should look at that release whenever it comes out and think to ourselves, how did that happen? Because there clearly are things going on behind the scenes constantly. Now, if, if they've decided not to pay, I think that's going to dictate what kind of players they get more than anything. 
Very interesting indeed. It, it is a busy week, Rex, this week. Dubai Desert Classic. Roy McIlroy playing his first event of 2023. There was a report. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it seems. It seems. Uh, this seems more, reckless. More... Are you really gonna? You're you gonna put this on our podcast? You're oh, gonna yeah. do this. This, this seems that... wildly reckless. You went to journalism. Uh, according, school. according to reports, mm-hmm. according to TenGolf.com and the Irish Independent, uh, Patrick Reed threw a T at Roy McIlroy because Roy McIlroy did not acknowledge Patrick Reed in Dubai. Uh, stand by for further confirmation. Multiple reports, uh, multiple yep. outlets, Rex, are reporting this. It, it will be interesting to see Rory at a place where he has had success in the past. On the PJ Tour, once again, man, these non-designated events continue to get great fields. John Rahm, obviously the headliner. And Torrey Pines, you also have Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris, uh, the list, Justin Thomas, the list, goes on and on. What's going on here? Why are these big-name players showing up at non-designated events? It was supposed to be the A-Tour and the B-Tour. Is it, Are these cocktail parties where their guys are getting slid money in envelopes? Is it guys who just want to check off the non-designated uh, counter that they have to have for the 2023 season? What's, what's going on? When did you get so reckless? Talking about players getting envelopes under the table – Citing yeah. reckless reporting from websites a, that we don't know it's a, it's a, or trust? It is, it is a way to get around the appearance fee. This thing's been going on forever. Oh, it's it, been. Yes. I mean, just look at RBC. Look at Farmers Insurance. The money, in can, av- and the money in an envelope is obviously a joke. There is a way to pay for a cocktail party. That's which, not is a, a, which is a direct fun. appearance fee, yes. Uh, I, I think what this goes to, and we talked about this last week for the American Express, and that was sort of uniquely positioned because we're never going to have a spot on the schedule where you have two designated f- events that are that far apart. There's a month between the first designated event in Maui and the next one, which will be in Phoenix. And players aren't going to take a month off. And there's also something to be said for for a player like John Rahm. He's always going to play the American Express. He's won there before. His management firm runs the tournament. And it's probably some place that he likes to take his game to see just as a gauge. He wants to see, all right, if I can play here at PGA West, then I can transition to Torrey Ponds and then transition to Riviera. Makes perfect sense. That being said, I think what we're seeing now is probably guys padding the schedule. Because as we get into the summer, there is so much uncertainty because you're going to have all of those designated events sort of packed together. You probably won't have time or energy or interest in adding one of those three, right? So mm-hmm. it's the plus three. You got to play the 17 plus the three others, whatever those were. So if you can bank on the others, if you can play one in the fall and two early now, you know, early this season, and you don't have to worry about it by the time we get to the middle of the summer, I think that's probably what we're seeing. And there's also something to be said like John Rahm's not going to miss Tory. He won a, won a U.S. Open there. He feels like he proposed to his wife Zan- right there Zander's on Xander's not going to miss Tory. Yeah. Will Zalatoris had an opportunity to win uh, last week. Xander He's not might gonna... have missed Tory, but. Him him not playing Maui probably was, was the switch there for him because he, he needed to start one way or the other. So that's probably more for Xander. But I would guess as we get further into the summer, you're going to see the A and the B schedule sort of take hold. Uh, absolutely. And I think what we're seeing now is guys who probably didn't play a lot during the winter wanting to knock off, uh, get some competitive reps under their belt. It's an opportunity uh, to play as much golf as you can ahead of the Masters. And then by that point, you can kind of put it – on cruise control. There's not going to be a whole lot of time to be fine-tuning your game or making any sort any sort of wholesale changes. You're just going to put it on cruise control and hope that you can cash in between April and August with the end of the PGA Tour season. So uh, to me, this is very smart scheduling on the part 
of these PGA Tour players. John Rom, does he get it done? Does he go three for three this week at Torrey Pines? Very quick turnaround. And you and I talked about this in our Golf Today hit. We would prefer a schedule Wednesday through Saturday through the entire month of January. That way you don't have John Rom winning at mm-hmm. what, four o'clock local time on Sunday and then having to tee it up, let's call it eight or nine AM local time on Wednesday for the start. Uh, granted, it's a three hour drive over the mountains. So it, it, it's not as though he's having to jump on a flight. But there's two like it, but there's two courses. There's two courses this week. There's also he's, the he's Pro Am. both of them really well. I understand. But it's a very quick turnaround. It's the quickest turnaround that you have of the entire PGA Tour season. Getting this on a more routine schedule Wednesday through Saturday for the first four weeks would certainly eliminate this issue. And, and you guys, please check it out. I thought that was a pretty good conversation you and I had. Uh, because definitely, definitely not going to air it, is it? That's definitely uh, no, way. Too silly. no way. A little it's too silly. Gonna, I think we were a little too flippant. They, they don't. TV likes to do a little bit more serious. Wasn't right? wasn't wasn't about live golf though. So who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, I I think you and I were under the same mindset. Where yes, the PGA Tour should try to avoid at least NFL playoffs at all cost because you're, it's just a losing battle. I mean, it's a losing battle for any other sport. And I'm not picking on golf here. It's the NFL is going to swallow up everything else. I took it a step farther, as you pointed out. I think we should play all the fall events Wednesday through Saturday. And, and even you brought up a good point that then you start getting into college football. So uh, you yeah. can have this ends conversation on, ends on Saturday. George, George is going to be number one again. Like you, we keep, we the can't only exception that I said was Scottsdale. Like I love their place in the world that they go early Sunday morning. They finish up Sunday morning before the Super Bowl. And I and hate it. Almost it. Become... <laughs> no, I do it. like you it. You love it and I hate it. It's like a pregame. It, it's like everyone can sort of go there and sort of do their thing and get ready for the Super Bowl. And, oh, yeah, there's golf going on and we're going to enjoy ourselves and have some cocktails and then move on to the Super Bowl. But to the point, yeah, if you're going to do it, though, don't you have to do it every week instead of creating these sort of condensed windows because for John Rahm that's fine but when you start talking with players like Taylor Montgomery he's not going to be able to see both courses next week because he's not going to be in the pro-am on Tuesday and he's going to have Monday to see you know essentially either you're going to play the south course which is probably what you're going to do with the north course and you won't have time to do both so it does create a, a difficult situation for the players and there's two things I didn't get in on the golf today hit that I want to get into now because I really? know people are going to say, well, look, the NFL still plays the wild card games and the divisional round games on Saturday, which is true. However, mm-hmm. the NFL also slots its most high profile games on Sunday. And so at least somewhat the audience is reduced and you, do, you will have a window for about an hour as we had this past Sunday at the American Express where the final round uh, ha- has, has no competing game to go up against which i like to see wasn't the, the jacksonville game on saturday was, it was it was yeah. on saturday night Dude, shout out whoa. shout out our jags i'm actually uh in the midst rex our of, jags of of purchasing season tickets uh looking to get into one of the someone few hit you up huh shady, into one of the few shady areas at TIAA <laughs> bank field uh i want to have a situation where i'm close to uh, the aisle, so I can go to the bathroom eight to ten times, as I tend to do during a game. I also want to have easy access to the Bud Light bar, uh, which is very close by as well. So, so t- stay tuned. I think I think the window for season tickets opens in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it is a very good home slate: Chiefs, Ravens, Niners, uh, Titans. I'm forgetting someone else, uh, but it should be a very good home slate. I'm looking forward. Seems to, to me the aisles. The only, the, only, the, only, the only issue is, is finding a babysitter to take care of these little gremlins from like nine to five or six because tailgating will obviously be at a premium. So that was the first thing I wanted to get into was that, yes, 
I understand they play on Saturday, but the NFL slots its most high-profile games yeah. on Sunday. Second thing, and you mentioned the Phoenix Open. The NFL already knows when the Super Bowl is going to be played for the next couple of years. I think it goes all the way through 2025 at this point. The tour just needs to schedule its Phoenix Open, which is their Super Bowl, the biggest party. It is the most well-attended tournament, maybe outside the Players' Championship, the entire year long. Make sure you have the undivided attention of the folks in the Phoenix Scottsdale area and schedule it during the bye week. That way you don't have that sort of inevitable drop off that you have on Saturday, which is the absolute culmination of the week. And then everyone's focus is on Sunday. Everyone's focus is on tailgating. Everyone's focus is on getting ready for their Super Bowl parties. Just be done with it and, and, and have that scheduled ahead of time. Like the Super Bowl, we already know what it's going to be. The tour needs to know when the Phoenix open is as well. Uh, and they switched it up. I mean, they, they switched up this year's Phoenix Open and Pebble because of that, because Phoenix wants to lean into it. I think tournaments should lean into it more. And, and you and I had this discussion after we talked about it yesterday. Like, I think RSM sets a really good precedent that they know on Saturday they're going up against Georgia football. So they've essentially created a watch party at Sea Island where there's just a huge beer garden and a huge TV and, oh, yeah, there's golf going on around you. I think that's the way these tournaments should go. Whether you're changing days that you play or not, lean into the idea that football is king, whether that's Saturday or Sunday, and just make it part of the atmosphere. I sure would love to cover that RSM Classic just an hour and a half away. Maybe one day. Maybe one day you'll spare us uh, we should coverage tailgate. Ooh, look, of yeah, the fifth major. Oh, is that is that an RSM hoodie? Yeah, man. The, oh, that's yeah. sick. It actually matches... Uh, Actually matches my Georgia. It does. Georgia's on right here. I should have got uh, you one. Maybe that's what uh, what you got for Christmas. You do love to see it. Uh, you mentioned the tailgating scene, Rex. This is the best Sunday of the entire year. And the PJ Tour, as we mentioned, wisely moved this Farmers Insurance Open to a Wednesday through Saturday, clearing the way for every golf fan in America and worldwide to pay attention to the conference championship games. Uh, I have to know, what are you firing up? Because you know we're firing it up. Uh, no, I'm firing it up, and I was pretty excited. It's It's been a while since I, I did any kind of pulled pork, so I was thinking about that. But then I got a request from the family, and, and I think I told you about this a few weeks ago. I did uh, pork belly tacos, mm. and that's what they want. And that, that kind of, I kind of make my own sort of fire-roasted salsa, and then you know you do like a cream. It is uh, like a guacamole kind of cream thing to pork it. Pork belly is so it. filling. Like I absolutely love doing it. I do pork belly burn ends. Uh, if you've ever done that, it's the same way you would cook. I've seen a recipe for that. That, that looks before. really good. It is super filling. You can have a handful of them, and then you feel like you need to go take a nap. Uh, I feel like it would be good in the taco, though, because you're only having, what, a three-bite taco? Yeah. Well, multiply that by two. You just need six bites. Yeah. I could, so I, I think that. I'll do – actually, I think I'll do both of them because it's been a while since I used the pit barrel. So I, I probably will break out a um, – probably do some pulled pork on the pit barrel and then do – man, that's a lot of pork, isn't it? Oof. Oof. It's okay. Pork's delicious. It's right. uh, it yeah, I think you, I think you have to do wings. I'll be firing up the gateway drum and doing some wings. I also love to do some ribs. I feel like I feel like ribs. I really want to dial in the recipe for the summer barbecue season. I feel like I've got it pretty well in hand. I think you made your too spicy uh, with a meat church rub. It was a combination of the rub yeah. and the hot sauce from the yeah. Southern Soul. Yeah. yeah. So I probably but, need to just dial that back a little bit. I got a good honey rub that I'm looking forward to using there. Rex, the uh, uh, outdoor kitchen should be done. Should. 
I will put How come no updates? Put some updates sure. on Twitter. People want to see this. <laughs> because, because there's nothing to update. The electrician has been here for the past three days. Uh, it is very unsexy, but we now have an 84-inch fan uh, that will be powering everything out there. He's running things through walls. Like Apparently, it, it all should coalesce here. It, it, should, it should come together very quickly. In fact, the actual kitchen part uh, should be being installed here. I'm recording this on Tuesday morning. It should be installed either today or tomorrow, then they can turn their attention to the bar, which needs to be flushed out. And then they're going to be turning their attention to making sure the two 75-inch televisions, as well as the Sonos sound system, are properly installed. The thing, the and, thing is going to be epic. And, and I was humble brag talking about work. I was humble brag. It's not even humble. It's just like this thing is no. going to be absolutely awesome. Jeez Louise. Hey, everybody, right. look what I have. Two big TVs. <laughs> <laughs> two two wow. big CDs, sound system, a kegerator. Steer yourself we'll to the public. Uh, we'll be, Everyone we'll let be, them know. We'll be doing content out there. We don't know what the content will be. Uh, we would certainly love to get a barbecue sponsor. So if you're listening, if you're, I, I mean, I have every grill under the sun. If you're Yoder, if you're PK, if you're Gateway, if you're Hasty Bake, uh, if you're Shirley Fabrication, if you're, if you're Pit Barrel, if you're Big Green Egg, if you're Oklahoma Joe's in Rex's case, holla at us. We're going to be doing all sorts of stuff on the back patio that's gonna do it for this edition the golf channel podcast with rice and love you do have a sausage finger up in the ears please the uh shout out to our colleague uh shout out to our colleague ron green jr he just was the recipient of the pg of america lifetime achievement award in journalism good job yeah, he said he will keep his speech short at the gwa mm, dinner uh we've heard that song before uh we will have to see if it actually will be short but shout out jr one of our absolute favorites in the media tent. Next beer is on us, or at least it's on Golf Channel because we can just expense it. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition. Talk to you next week. Have a great week. You're dead to me, Elon. Elon.